Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. Thank you. I'm curious, how many of you, this is the first time you've, you've been in the room with my dad in person? Put your hand up. Okay, okay. Wow. Well, it's good to have you. We're glad you're here. And just to get, make sure everyone understand, obviously this is my dad that made that obvious. Um, but my parents moved to Redding, California. I was actually in college at the time. I was pursuing someone else in my life, Candace. And, um, but while I was in college, my parents uh, moved to Redding, which was an hour away from Weaverville, which is where I grew up. Mom and dad pastored a church there called Mountain Chapel for eight, 17, 18 years. And they've now been in Redding for about 27 years, and they took over Bethel Church in Redding, California. And it's for 27 years, and what God has done there, um, Candace and I had the great privilege of being there for about 18 of those years, and it's just a remarkable thing that God has done and is still doing there. And so for those that don't know, um, the ministry that my parents pastored for so many years has become just one of the most life-giving places, at least in my orbit. And uh, it's just been such a gift. And so to have Dad here tonight, um, Dad, this is the part of your legacy, this, this space right here, studio. And so it's kind of scary, actually. <laughs> it makes it easy. I didn't blame you for anything. It's, a, it's your fault. It's your fault. So anyway, this is your first time to Greenville. What are your first impressions of Greenville in about 48 hours? I think you've been here 48 yeah, hours. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. that's fun. I, just, I love being here. I love uh, I'm glad it's not July. I, I, I have heard rumors of your weather in July. And, uh, but I, I really, uh, really uh, see why you guys love the city. It's just a very, very special place. And uh, it's kind of, you, you have, in Greenville, you have all the things I like about a big city, and you still have some of the things that I really like about a small city, and they're all in one, and I don't know how you did it, but you did it. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's really fun. It's fun to be here and uh, meet different leaders, spiritual leaders in the city as well. It's really remarkable to see what God's doing. It's so encouraging. Very much. Yeah, I picked him up at the airport, and uh, for those of us that live here, it, this isn't very humid right now. This is like really nice, and so if, and so we're like, man, I can't even tell if it's humid right now. So I picked him up at the airport the other night, and I said, it's not that humid right now. Can you tell? He's like, oh, I can tell. I can smell it. <laughs> like, dang. So anyway, so welcome to Greenville. Uh, it's green for a reason. It's green for a reason. Um, but one of the things that we wanted to talk about tonight um, for studio is, um, we, I've already said this during the offering, but we, we want, we're building a culture around three words or three words that we are working with. Now, each of these three words represent a lot of other words, but the three words are live, devoted, and curious. We are alive in God. We are a devoted people, and we are curious about the wonder of who God is. And so we're building a culture around those three words, and that's kind of our... Uh, 
lack of a better description, our parameters, our lines, like we, those are three really important things to us. And we've been unpacking that for literally the last 10 to 12 months, even before we opened when we were doing studio night. But one of the things embedded within that is this idea of being a generous people. So tonight, we're actually gonna, I'm gonna ask my dad a series of questions around the idea of generosity. And that's what we're gonna talk about. And so generosity is something that I, as your son, I got a front row seat for my entire life, just growing up. And now looking back, I can, I can go, oh my goodness, this was so much a part of who you were then and even more so now. It's not even waned at all. But before we dive into this whole topic, can you give us your description? How would you define generosity? When we talk about being a generous people, what did that actually mean to you? Well, um, I, I think the... the I think the hard part with generosity is, especially in church circles, we tend to reduce generosity to offerings. And that's just a tiny, tiny part of a lifestyle of generosity. Generosity is actually how you walk into a room and there's other people there. Do you, do you have a scripture to give to somebody? Is there somebody you can serve? How do you, how do you approach the waitress that waits on you in a restaurant? It's, it's your conversation with people. Are you... Are you depositing something in their life, or are you taking from them, or are you ignoring them altogether? And generosity is a way of life, and it is a, it's, a, it's a way you do life where you impart life through giving, and sometimes it includes money. Sometimes it's eye-to-eye -eye contact and a kind word. Sometimes it's serving them or helping in some way, but it's, generosity is a lifestyle. It has to include money. But I, I don't think at all it's, it's just a money issue. It will affect finan our finances. But it's, it's literally the way we get up in the morning, what we anticipate in the day, who we're looking for to serve. It's all of that. It's, it's the, are people around me under my, under my influence, are they better off because I'm there? Is their life enriched because I'm there? And that's, to me, that's what generosity is, is that you live to be a fountain of life, of strength, of courage to other people. It doesn't mean we don't have difficulties ourselves. It's, it's just, you just can't outgive the Lord. So you put yourself in a position to, to love and to care for people. So I, it's just giving, you know, it's just giving and serving, really. Now, have you always been this way? Is this something that you were taught or just something? I'm just so curious because, I mean, we've known each other how, however old I am. Your whole life. My entire, you've known me I, longer than I've known you. I, I, I've known you longer than you've known you. Yes. yes. <laughs> so my entire existence yeah, yeah. that I've known you, you've been, you and mom have been so generous. But I'm so curious, when did this yeah. start for you? Like, what, what, what why? Why, uh, why, well, why? I, to be honest, I started when I was a child. I just remember just always finding such joy in giving. You know, when mom and I got, Benny and I got married, um, we, we've never given as low as 20% of our income. We, and, and we made $100 a month then. And we would, we would always position ourselves. Our, our, whole, our whole goals economically were not about income, they were about giving. Our goals were on what we could give, what we could, what we could invest in, and uh, and and living that way uh, has has just been the most. It's been the safest way to do life. Hmm. There's, you know, there's so much 
There's so much grace in return when you do that. He's, he's not a, you know, he's not like a, a slot machine that you put a generous gift in, you pull the handle and you get 10 times as much back. There are times when that happens quickly, but there are sometimes it's 20 years before you get a return on that gift. So, so then giving has to be because you value honoring him, not b- just because you're trying to manipulating him to get a return. And uh, so I, 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 uh, I don't remember, we've never had a time where we weren't. It's never been an, it's never been an issue. I don't remember, I don't even remember ever questioning mm-hmm. him because I was raised in an environment where that was, that was just how you did life, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the last couple of months, specifically regarding mom, mm-hmm. and obviously your wife, is the stories that came about her life. And I mean, you said, I didn't know she was that generous. I didn't know she gave that much. You, you knew she was generous, but there was yeah. all these like secret stealthy yeah. stories. <laughs> you want to share one or two uh, that we, well, yeah, just. It, it wasn't that I didn't know she was that generous, is that I didn't know how sneaky she was. Yes. <laughs> I mean, she, she just was stealthy, you know? I mean, yeah. she just, and, and it's how we did life. So we, we kind of entertained each other by our generous choices. And she would rejoice when I would do something out of the ordinary, and I, of course, with her. But it was at, at the funeral yeah. That I've, people would come to me, oh, yeah, your wife gave me $500 at such and such a time. And I went, yeah, awesome. <laughs> that's, that's, it's, it's totally cool because that's the way she was, but she never bothered to report to me. <laughs> report not in a sense for approval, because she already has the approval. That she, you know, sometimes as husband and wife, you go, yeah, I met so-and-so today and I helped to take care of a need for them and, and you just kind of celebrate together. She never gave me that privilege on half the stuff, so <laughs> I had to have, we had to have a memorial service for me to find out what she'd been doing all these years. You know? <laughs> it really was, it really is fun though. It's, uh, and it is a way of life. It's not, generosity is not a button you turn on. If, you, if, if, if it's your heart, you would have to intentionally turn it off. It doesn't need to be turned on. There, there, there isn't, there's, there's never, even if you have no money to give, that's not the point. Is it, is it where's your focus? What is your intention? What are your ambitions for the people around you? And, uh, and a, generous, a generous heart can give when there's no money left. And, uh, and that's really the beauty of life. You just, you, you live to make the world around you a better place. And you know, it sounds kind of cliche, but it's, it's really true. Yeah. There's one story that someone told me, I don't know if I told, I, I'm, I don't know if you know this story, <laughs> but it was about mom. Someone said, yeah, I commented on some clothing your mom was wearing. And then the next time I saw her, she, had, she bought the same clothing and shoved every pocket full of money and gave me and uh, it was just story after story. And so it's just something you, mom, have not talked about, but actually lived and modeled. Um, I want to get to kind of a practical point. When you talked about $100 a month, um, that's obviously not much. Um, and you said you didn't give less than 20%. How did you approach it? We're like, oh, if we have 20% left, we'll give it. Or do you say we give 20% oh, no. and then figure it out from there? Like no. how, your approach, like, just talk about that. If you don't give off the top, you can't afford to give. If you give off the top, then you pray better for the rest that you need. <laughs> you, know, you know, giving, giving to put yourself in, in, none of us want to be careless or irresponsible. That's not the point. 
But giving and putting yourself in a place of pressure is not a bad thing. I mean, really, that's where you learn to depend on God. It's where you learn to pray and to find out what he wants you to do with what you have. And, and uh, so, yeah, we live that way. You know, we, to, to, you know, today, I already implied this, but today I'm harvesting, and my wife and I, until July, we're harvesting seeds that we planted 20, 30, 40 years ago. And it, it became so crystal clear to me that certain open doors or, or moments of great unusual favor or whatever, oh, that was, that was because of this. And you, you start seeing the effect of a lifestyle. There, 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 are, there are benefits to an act of generosity. He does return. It's mockery against God to think you can do something that he wouldn't respond to in Galatians 6. But a lifestyle of generosity has compound interest in the return. That's good. That was a good one. That's a good point. Now, obviously, we have a lot of different people in this room. Some people are in seasons where they have plenty, have more than enough in a, you know, in a, a financial sense, and others of us are in a season where it's just not a lot financially. And so when we talk about generosity, um, have you found it easier to be generous when you have nothing, and is it harder to sacrifice when you have everything? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a strange, uh, sacrifice and generosity are the two words. It's easy to sacrifice when you have nothing, because anything you do is a sacrifice. It's hard to sacrifice when you have a lot. But it's easy to be generous. If I have a million dollars in the bank, I can write one of you a $10,000 check, and I wouldn't even notice it was gone. Right? So that's generosity from your perspective. But it wasn't sacrificial. And it's not that every gift has to be. It's just understand that the point of sacrifice changes with, with the, the amount of resources God has entrusted to you. So, yeah, um, you know, uh, poor uh, people that are homeless and poor are, it's hard for them to live a generous lifestyle, but everything they do is sacrificial. Yeah. And I, I remember... Um, giving this, uh, this meal to this young child uh, that was hungry. And instead of consuming it, he ran and got his friend. Because that's, you know, they just know the ways of, uh, of kindness and giving. And uh, so anyway, learning how to challenge yourself at, your, at, your, your, at the way you think and function is just a huge part of following Jesus. And, you know, there, there are many people that that actually come out of the teachings of Jesus and they really misunderstand what he was teaching because they come out with a view that owning something is wrong. The possessions are evil. If that's true, then you're cursing the poor by giving to them. Because you're giving them something they actually can't manage and handle. Owning something isn't wrong. Being owned by something is wrong. And, uh, and so Jesus, you know, there, there are just several parts 
of our life as it, as it pertains to resources. Number one is generosity. The tithe and the offering, the tithe belongs in the storehouse. The offering is determined by the giver. You, you direct it wherever you want. That's where you follow your vision. Um, the, um, the thing of wise purchases, I think, is huge. I think we can illustrate the excellence of the kingdom by what we buy. I really do. And how we manage it, that we take care of things. Just because you could have bought three cars and you only bought one doesn't mean you don't take care of the one. You know, you, you, you steward what God's given you well. You manage it well because you're illustrating a value system of excellence in the kingdom. And the third area that I think is so significant we're going to learn more about in the next five to ten years is how to use resource to increase resource. And I, I, we need wisdom on it. Some of you in the room already have it. You, you already know what to do, and you're able to really create. It's a gift that God has put on your life. I, I remember, uh, if I can yap just a minute longer on this one. You can yap the whole <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, uh, I, Benny and I had, have been generous our whole life. We have been. And, uh, we, I mean, we'll, we'll give away anything. Uh, uh, honestly, anything except our children. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. But we will, and we have. Um, but we also, all, for 25 years of our marriage, always lived hand to mouth. We always had just enough. Or not un- quite enough. And learned to pray real hard for that enough, you know. But never abundance, never abundance. And it puzzled me that we, that we could live uh, the kind of lifestyle that we lived for for so long, for 25 years of marriage, honestly, as faithful as I know how to be. And one day it hit me that I, we have a friend that just, it seems like everything he touches turns to gold. He's just a wonderful man at that time, wasn't an elder in the church, became one. But he just, he just was wise with resources and had a history of it, was good friends with my parents. And I watched them in, in that part of their life as well. And so Anyway, uh, Benny and I went to him one Sunday night and said, would you pray for us? And he said, we've watched your life and we see that you have a wisdom and a grace that we don't have. Now, when you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, you get what the prophet brings to the table. And in this case, he had a gift from God on how to manage resource and to make increase. It was the target that Jesus taught on in his parable of the talents and the minas. Both are sums of money. He, he was looking for increase. Everything God makes increases. Everything that has right order, I should say, increases. And uh, so anyway, we had them pray for us. I can't tell you what happened. It wasn't a big check that came in the mail. It was just that everything changed in our life from that Sunday night till now. Everything. What happened? I don't know. I, I think somehow honoring a grace that was on somebody's life that was different than mine. Uh, humbling ourselves in, in a way. Here, we're the lead pastors of this ministry and they don't have any title or position. But going to them and saying, you're carrying something we really need. And they prayed for us. I, I, I don't know what happened. I really don't know. I can't trace it to one thing. All I know is the first 25 years was, was hand to mouth. And then we've been married 49 years. 
So the next 24 were completely different. And it was because there was a grace on how to manage resource unto increase. And for where God has us in the next uh, five, 10 years, we've got to learn how to do this well. I don't think it's possible to disciple nations if we do not know how to manage resources well. Anybody can spend resources well. I have a gift there if you need help. <laughs> I, I, I know how to do that really good. That's not what we need. We, I'm joking with you, but also, also confessing. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but managing unto increase is, is what I believe God is wanting to deposit in us, a wisdom and how to recognize. See, the church has a lottery mentality. We, we expect breakthrough, but we expect it to come through an unexpected gift. Uh, somebody dies, leaves us a will. Somebody gives us a, a lottery ticket we were too afraid to buy ourselves, or whatever it might be. And, and we have this great sum of money instead of actually learning to steward unto increase. And I believe the Lord wants to give us a wisdom on how to bring about increase. Because when you've labored in prayer to increase something, you watch over it better than if it came in a big lump sum. So we need that, we need that right now, yeah. That's really good. I've heard you teach many times on the concept of bread and seed, (laughs) and not sowing bread and not eating your seed. Would you mind just unpacking that a little bit and uh, just your own process with that? Absolutely. Can I tell them the first two Sundays Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my, when we came to Bethel, you know, a million years ago, 20, 20, almost 27 years ago, I think it was our first two Sundays. It was either our first two or it was number two and three. I forget now what it was. I taught on giving because the finances of the church was such a mess. I thought, you know, money's the subject that offends everyone. Let's just thin out the crowd and, and let's... Let's just build with whoever is left, you know. And, and the, the finances of the church, honestly, was such a mess. And uh, so I did. I, I just came out of the gate and taught on the tithe and, and offerings. And I did two weeks of it. At the end of the second week, I said, uh, we're going to receive an offering now. And um, I'm going to give you a chance to repent. And the Bible says to bring forth fruit of your repentance. So I, I don't want to hear any confessions. I don't want to see any tears or big smiles. I want to see checks that are signs of your repentance. And I, 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 I did. I said, as I'm going to give you a chance to repent, we need to get this place in order, get this thing going. And uh, so if you've not been obeying God in this area, you need to repent right now. We're going to pass the offering plate and give you a chance to demonstrate your repentance. And then I said, but just so that you know, I will never raise an offering summons you for money for our benefit. So we're giving this offering away. I will never teach on it for, my, for personal gain. It will only be for, the, for your welfare as a disciple of Jesus. And so then a substantial offering came in. And it's good repentance. It's just real good repentance. <laughs> I, I didn't check to see if there were tears on the checks, but that would have been a good feature. That would have been good. <laughs> and a, honestly, a real good offer, especially for that day. And, uh, and so I called a pastor friend in town, and I said, hey, can we have lunch? So we, we got together, and, and I brought him this check. I said, I told him what we did, and the repentance offering, you know, and gave it to him. And he opened the, the envelope and looked at it, and he says, I don't know if this is exact, but it's pretty close to exact what we are behind on in our bills. 
and so he, uh, uh, of course, took care uh, of the bills and told his, the, his church board what we had done. And they said, well, we got to do the same thing. So, <laughs> so they, did, they, they took their largest offering in the history of the church on Easter Sunday and gave it away to three different ministries. And the, it was a domino effect. Another church got impacted by it. They, took, they had a bus ministry. It was a poor church. They took their best bus, gave it to another church in town with a bus ministry. And it just was this domino effect throughout the city. And it changed, I think it changed the climate of our city, was generosity. And uh, so, bread, uh, Jesus, uh, yeah, amen. Yeah. <laughs> the Apostle Paul in Corinthians talked about there's uh, seed for sowing and bread for eating. Seed for sowing, bread for eating. A farmer who eats all of his seed is a foolish farmer because then you have nothing to plant. You have to keep a measure of the seed back so that you can plant to have a crop next year. And I watch believers do this all the time. They eat all their seed, then they're angry at God because he didn't provide. You know, can you imagine a farmer with a thousand acres who plants a hundred and then is angry with God because there's not a thousand acre harvest? The harvest is according to seed, not need. <laughs> it, it's, it's true. It's just true. And it's, it's foolish to eat your seed, but it's equally foolish to eat your bread. Your bread is what God provided for you for your consumption. He delights in you having pleasure in what he provided for you. And there's a certain shame, guilt thing that has, has followed believers for as long as I've walked with the Lord about owning anything or somehow delighting in or expressing pleasure in this vacation home that God provided or whatever it might be, this, this you know, this wonderful car that was given to us by a relative or whatever. I, in fact, I had a pastor friend pick me up in a brand new Mercedes once, and I, I know he felt very uncomfortable. And uh, he began to explain to me that church bought it for him as an anniversary gift. He'd been at the church X amount of years, and, and I, I, I was squirming with him because we, we aren't free enough to actually just celebrate and give thanks for the privileges that he gives us in life. And I, I told my kids, I said, listen, God's going to bless you because we were generous, and you don't owe anyone an explanation. Just enjoy what, what God provides for you. And uh, so when, when, when the Lord gives you bread, I've done this. I, I remember having, having a watch, a, friend, a beautiful watch, and a friend of mine, so I said, oh, it's a beautiful watch, so I took it off and gave it to him. Now, I, I have no problem uh, giving at, at any, any time. Honestly, I, I, I don't know of a time where that's been a challenge for me. So I, I gave him the watch, and, as soon as, and he says, oh, that's beautiful. And he gave it back, and I said, no, it's yours. As soon as I did that, I knew I had grieved the Lord. He's not angry. I knew I'd grieved the Lord because I just planted bread. That was actually something he gave me for my delight. And sometimes Christians give because they're unwilling to manage. Sometimes believers will actually give because the pressure of stewarding or managing well is much too challenging. It's just easier to pass that responsibility on to somebody else. If I were 
See, the Father actually delights in us eating the bread he provided. If, if I, uh, uh, Eric loves golf, so if I came to town and bought him the finest set of golf clubs money could buy, which he told me last service, I could do that. <laughs> he, he, he welcomes that. I know a place in town. Yeah. <laughs> this could be an expensive trip, yeah. Um, so let's say that I bought him, honestly, the, the best set of clubs you could get. <clears throat> and so I'm back home and I'm looking, I'm following him on Instagram and I see his golf game and I see he just got to play at such and such a place. And I'm looking at the clubs and I'm thinking, why isn't he using my, <clears throat> his clubs? Why, why isn't he? So I, I, I send him a text. I say, hey, Eric, where are those clubs I bought you? And he responds back and he says, oh, he says, uh, those were so nice. He said, I have a friend that just starting in golf and I wanted him to start with a nice set. So I gave them to him. I probably will not buy him clubs anymore because it wasn't seed. It was bread. I'm a dad. I delight in, in my children, my grandchildren, enjoying what I, what I provided for them. I'm not saying there's no room for giving. I just try to understand the point. Our Heavenly Father actually delights in you enjoying the bread he provided. And when there's this, this guilt-shame thing on us, of really enjoying the material world. It just shows an immaturity on our part. So practically, how do you help, what advice would you give to understand the difference between bread and seed? Like what, what did that look like? Yeah. And what, what's your little internal process for that? <laughs> well, I, need, I have a confession to make. I don't ever get a check and think, this much is bread, this much is seed. I have, I have a discipline that I've reached in my life where there's, there's a, I always start with a certain percentage, significantly higher than the tithe. I start with that percentage, and that's the baseline. When I'm in a meeting, a conference somewhere, I'm on the other side of the planet, I have a certain amount that I automatically give every day. I don't need the Lord to prompt me. I, I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean, I, mean there's, there, I have a faith built up over time that this is what I'm to do with my life and my resources. And so I have a standard that I do every meeting unless he says no or he says more. So I have, I have a, a, a bottom line. And it's the same. So I, we, I get my check. There's a bottom line. And I give that. And then I'm open to everything else. The only way I know to tell the difference between bread and seed, I mean, the tithe for me is, is holy, it's sanctified, don't touch it. Just send it where he said to send it. The rest of your giving is up to you. The only way I know to tell the difference is by learning to recognize his voice and his delight. I, it's not through an, analyzing. It's, you know, I don't sit down and analyze a check and go, well, this much is bread, this much is seed. I know in my relationship with him, that I run into this need, and I can tell because of the com compassion of my heart, I have the resources. Even if I thought this was bread, this is now seed. I don't know if that makes sense. It's, it's like you can, you can follow him. You learn to follow his voice, his presence. You can tell his mood. I can tell when I've talked too much. I can tell when I didn't say what I was supposed to. I can, I can, all those things, you can sense it in his mood. And if you give yourself to discover his heart, then you learn to do what he says. So I write the check or I give the cash or whatever, and I know he had me do it, so that's seed. But when I go beyond what he said to do, then I know I'm getting into an area 
it's not that it won't benefit. It's just there's no return because bread doesn't grow. Uh, uh, you know, some people like to be noticed for giving, and most of what they give is bread because it doesn't grow. There's, there's no return. <laughs> I don't know if that helped, but I tried really hard. <laughs> I've heard you say, um, I wrote it down so I wouldn't butcher it too bad. I've heard you say this many times. One of the reasons why we have seen God move for so many years is because of yeah. generosity. Yeah. And can you unpack that? Like, Abs- why absolutely. is there such a deep connection to you? Uh, there's, let me give you two verses. One would be in Malachi, uh, the great passage on uh, Malachi 3 on uh, tithes and offerings. And what he says is, don't neglect doing this that there might be food in my house. Now, of course, in an Old Testament context, there was, uh, there was a room for food and supplies. Um, in a New Testament setting, for me, that food is the spirit of revelation that rests on a, on a church family. In other words, they will always be fed well. I don't know of one church in the country or in the world that functions constantly on a high level of hearing the present word of the Lord, that spirit of revelation. I don't know one church that is not generous. To live at that level of continuous revelation, I, obviously I don't mean in addition to scripture, I mean where he opens the word up to us in levels that, that are just every week is just another layer. I don't know of any place in the world where that is constant, where there isn't radical generosity. Because that generosity sets the stage for the feeding, the bread of heaven, to come and, and nourish and feed the souls of people. The second one is, um, <clears throat> is in Luke 16. It says, if I don't know how to handle unrighteous mammon, which is money, if I don't know how to handle unrighteous mammon, who will give true riches to me? True riches is not more money. It's already called unrighteous mammon. If I don't know how to handle unrighteous mammon, who will give to me true riches? What are true riches? It's the reason you're here. You're not here to make a buck. You're here because you're hungry for something in the unseen realm that will mark you and your family line for the rest of your days. And it's that concept is sometimes, perhaps I'll just say ignorantly used to manipulate people to giving, and that's horrible. That's, that's a horrible thing. Because it's used in this way, that if you give, you'll have an anointing to heal cancer or something. And that's, that's repulsive. But strangely, the truth is closer to that reality than any of us want to admit. That functioning in generosity is actually what positions us to function responsibly in spiritual gifts. You can't buy them. You absolutely cannot buy them. But you also cannot get to where you want to go without moving in radical generosity. And radical generosity, actually, what the heart goes through in learning how to live uh, with radical generosity, what the heart goes through, it's almost like the development of a muscle that can hold the weightiness of spiritual blessing. And the Lord is constantly measuring us, not to succeed or fail. He's constantly testing and measuring us to see what, what level or measure of glory can we live under. 
is constant. Because see, we were born for glory. You say, well, the Bible says he will not give his glory to another, and that's true, but you're not another. How can you give him glory if you have no glory? You were designed. All have sinned and fallen short of the what? The glory of God. Sin caused us to miss the mark of his original intent, and that was to live in the manifested presence of Jesus, that we would be clothed with the manifested presence of Jesus on our lives. That's, that's what we're designed for. And radical generosity actually, it exercises, I don't know if it's a good way to say it, but I think you get the picture. It exercises a muscle that is the same muscle used to be responsible with the presence and not use it for our own benefit. Not, not try to manipulate it for you know, self-promotion, those nauseating things. Whatever we obtain through self-promotion, you have to sustain through self-promotion. It's like pumping up a beach ball that has a hole in it. You have to just keep pumping. And anytime we work to promote ourselves, that's our life right there, is keeping, trying to keep pumping something up that just needs to die. And uh, so, anyway. <laughs> Well, that, um, yeah, thanks for pouring wet cement in our foundation. You know, we had banning last, last week and, and obviously you this week. And, you know, our foundation is still being shaped and formed and we're in our early stages. And, uh, and so what you share today, it's just a big block in our foundation. And so thank you for, yeah. it's not just for what you share, but because of the life choices you've made, as you said, from a very young age, I know that we get to sit in this room and we get to, um, I don't know what the right word is, but reap the benefits of something that you've chosen to live your life towards and for. And so we're just really grateful tonight that you kind of unloaded some of this stuff into the foundation of studio, but more importantly, into the foundation of each of us. And so thank you for doing that. Thanks for doing that. And uh, yeah. We have a lot of crazy people in this room. I could tell. They have, you, you, yes, as far as ideas and vision and a dreaming of a future that's not even existing yet. And this room is full of those people. And it would be a great honor if you could just pray for us. Obviously the generosity thing, but just if you could just pray over this place, studio, but each individual. I know we have people represented from all kinds of places here tonight. And it would be just, it'd be awesome if you could just pray for us as a dad, not just to me, but uh, just this is your legacy too. And uh, we, we would love it. So why don't we stand and, and I'll hand it over to you. I have a friend who is a very, very wealthy person that many, many, many people hate. They hate him. And they hate him because they don't understand how he became so wealthy. He actually became wealthy because he listened to God. 
See, the one who gives in secret is rewarded openly. And oftentimes the one who gave in secret, who is rewarded openly, is criticized for not being generous, and he's not allowed to tell anybody what he did in secret. And all their critics don't know the secret history of radical generosity. He was driving down the street and down the freeway, and the Lord spoke to him and said, buy that piece of property. He bought it, $150,000. I believe it was within 30 days. It may have been 60. A big corporation called him and offered him $5 million. He turned it down because he said they were too desperate. That they'd pay more. <laughs> but how, how did he become wealthy? He just listened to God. He'll do whatever he says. He'll pay off your mortgage if God tells him. He won't do it because you ask. But if the Lord says, he'll give away anything and everything. He lives that way. But because of that, God trusts him with decisions to bring dramatic increase. So I'm going to pray that that muscle called trust, just the absolute reliance on him. If you compare yourself to people around you, you'll find somebody that you're better off than and you'll become arrogant. Or you'll find somebody that you have less than and you'll become jealous. Don't compare. Just be faithful with whatever is in your hand. Just be faithful, whatever resource. I'm going to pray for a creative release. I know it's already a creative group. You live in a creative city. It's, it's a grace. It actually rests on this area. It really does. I go into certain cities and I can tell. There's a grace for creativity, entrepreneurship, um, creative ideas, witty inventions, all that stuff. And that is here. And I'm going to pray for that to be released to the church. And that there would be a real wisdom to steward well. And uh, so that's, I, I didn't want to pray that as a sermon. I wanted to tell you so that I could actually pray it. So, Father, we look to you and we give you thanks that you are the one who, you entrust things to us because you trust us. And I thank you for the resources that already exist in this room. The resources of favor, of friends, of family the resources of time, the resources of inventive ideas, witty inventions. I thank you for all these things, and I do pray that a spirit of breakthrough as it pertains to entrepreneurial investment and creativity would burst forth on this house in ways that, that each of us find righteously frightening. I do pray this for your glory. I do pray this for your honor. And let this city come under the influence of righteous economics. And let generosity always be our theme. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Bless you. Thanks for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.